1: Miss, the show no worries, On Point, and on this podcast, the Provincial Auditor General's latest report has come out, and Christmas has come early for the opposition, with a report that reveals the Ford government gave almost a billion dollars to 14,000 businesses that weren't eligible or didn't need it. And the Ford government has no plans to go claim this $210 million, which is a hit to the Ford brand. Yeah, the money had to get out the door, but where were the checks and balances? And why would the guy who says he fights for the little guy not fight to get money back? That's been taken from the taxpayers. With inflation on the rise and interest rates set to go up, a lot of homeowners are just looking for the right moment to make a move or whether they should just stay put and see if the market cools. We'll talk about some surprising predictions from 2022 that show the market's not slowing down at all. And so what does that mean, and what should we do? We'll talk to Ian Lee, who's got a number of thoughts on this. And is there a plan, an actual plan, to confront this latest variant that we know absolutely nothing about? Politicians sure would like to think so, but so far what we're seeing is a lot of politicians lighting their hair on fire. But are they actually planning for us, or are all these plans that look like plans, are they about covering their political rear ends? Let us talk about that
0: this is on point with alex pearson on global news radio i wanted a list
1: because nobody gives you a
0: list that's the problem they don't give you a list wouldn't you think it'd be normal if they didn't want you to say something to tell you what it is (laughs) nobody even tells you when you're a kid what the words are that you're supposed to avoid you have to say them to find out which ones they are
1: Oh, yes. There's a list, Mr. Carlin, and sadly, it is not as entertaining as yours, because it's just nuts. Alex Pearson with you on this Wednesday, December the 1st. Boy, oh boy. Here we are. This is the day that is uh, the countdown officially, and it's the countdown when uh, parents can start stealing the chocolates from your child's advent calendar, and then um, just replace it along the way. Not that I do that. Not that I would admit that. But it is great to have you along. We've got a pretty busy show here ahead of us. And um, I listened to that George Carlin bit and uh, it reminded me of how funny he is or was. How funny he was and how smart. I got to see him live years ago, decades ago in Hamilton. And, um, you know, this was a guy who could make a lot of sense out of stuff that was just so obviously ridiculous. And so that little bit you heard right there is from his seven words you can't you can't say on TV. And, of course, you can't say them on radio either. Because if I actually could let it go, I'd play the whole six minutes and 14 seconds of uncensored you know, material just to remind people of what used to be common sense but has now turned into this absolute lunacy. And you you can only imagine what a guy like George Carlin would have to say about the state of the world today and, uh, in this case, the new list of words that the CBC's decided we can't and shouldn't be using. And I already had 1.4 billion reasons to get rid of the CBC. So now I've got another 18 because they've come up with this list of words and phrases we're not to use because they could be, quote, hurtful to various groups of people. Not that they are hurtful, they may be hurtful. And on the list of the vocabulary no-nos, well, there's a few. Pretty much anything with the word black in it because according to the CBC equity cops, it could be seen as negative for their black or indigenous staff. So words like blackmail, and black sheep are now blacklisted. Albeit, (laughs) blacklisted would then have to be blacked out. And then blacked out would have to be gone as well because they all start with the word black. And based on the CBC's logic, we should just get rid of the word black. I mean, it doesn't seem to matter at all to these overpaid word nannies what the origin of the actual word is rooted in. It's just that they want it rooted out. And according to the anti-black racism trainer who compiled this list. Black is more than just a shade. Quote, It connotes evil, distrust, lack of intelligence, ignorance, a lack of beauty, the absence of white. (laughs) You cannot make this stuff up. Really. But this is not made up. It's an actual thing. And when the word black is now seen as a worse offense than a prime minister who actually had a career doing blackface, we got some serious problems. But the word black sheep is literally how farmers, once upon a time, describe, well, to this day they still do. I mean, they just, that's how they describe a sheep of different color from the flock. It's how they track their flock. They see the white sheep and then, oh, there's a, okay, black sheep. It has never, ever been used to describe black people. But according to the CBC, there's apparently something evil lurking in here somewhere. And I guess, or we'll, I'll I'll just assume that if we're not seeing it, then we must be racist, right? Other words on the no list. Ghetto. Yes, ghetto is apparently offensive because it describes um, some of today's impoverished inner cities. Now, I would think it's, it's worse to allow the ghettos to become a thing at all. But maybe if we name them something else, people will feel better. But the origin of the word certainly uh, goes back a long way to the 16th century, and it describes the Jewish quarter in Venice. And then, of course, it evolved into areas where Jews were forced to live before a Nazi-occupied Europe. Tribe. No, no, no. Can't say that. Despite the fact that it's still an official name used by many, many indigenous bands in this country. But you look at its origins, and it's rooted... Back to the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you go by the logic of the CBC, then Jews should take offense. And by the way, they don't. If you greet a Jew or you're in the Jewish community, oftentimes they'll meet each other and affectionately say, hey, are you part of the tribe? It's not meant to offend. Blindside off your list. So don't say that. This is so you don't offend the visually impaired. So I guess moving forward... When you do that shoulder check while driving, you got to keep in mind that should you be pulled over by cops, then you got to come up with another excuse of why you cut the driver off. Something like, you know, I didn't see the visually impaired spot of my car. I mean, it's a little bit more wordy, but I guess it's better than being canceled. Spooky. That's a no-no. Tone deaf. Also a no-no. Because we could offend the hearing Impaired. Savage is gone. Spirit animal, also a no-no. And first world problems, you cannot say that or you are a classist. Brainstorm is gone. Can't say that because it could offend those who are not as smart. This list of 18 words, I have to think that there was a meeting of some sort, like I would call it brainstorming, but I'm not allowed to now. So I guess it was just a A meeting of the equally triggered educated minds. I mean, on and on it goes. But you're going to be assured, I think, while most of us in the real world roll our eyes and laugh of the absurdity of all of this, there is a a small but fierce group of pointy-headed academics who make quite a good living at this. They spend their every waking moment, you know, searching for a fence where none exists. And if we can't see it, we, of course, are racist. I I never thought I'd long for the days of political correctness. It seemed such a simple time back then, you know, when we just argued about Christmas trees or holiday trees, but it's, you know, that I think we rolled over to allow for that cancer to take root that we now find ourselves in the lunacy we face now. And while the pointy-headed academics think they're helping to solve racial issues, I don't think they understand that they're just going to be creating more division and resentment. Because if everything is hateful and racist, then nothing is hateful and racist. And then that just means we're distracting from the actual hate and racism. And as Jesse Klein of the National Post wrote it out, it is the dumbest thing we've ever heard. She's right. My question is, you know, why do we put up with it? Why do we feed into it? Um, George Carlin had these seven dirty words we couldn't, you know, say. And I would, I'd love to see what he had to say in today's day and age. I'm sure he's rolled in his grave, you know, for many, many uh, days now. But even back in 1972, he oddly seemed to be aware that this nonsense was coming.
0: You never know what's going to be on the list, because it's always somebody else's list. You didn't make that up. Somebody told you that. They told you better, better not say that. So you got to, and you don't know what's going to be on their list. God, people's lists even change from day to day. Some people on Friday night got a list, you know, not about two or three words. Sunday morning, goddamn, they make 27 <laughs> words. <on. laughs> These are the same people two days later. Different list. So you've got to kind of watch out what you're going to believe from them.
1: Mm-hmm. The list is never-ending. I would give anything to have his voice today. Boy, he'd have a lot of material to cover.
2: How could the Premier shovel out millions in grants to companies without any paper trail of how those decisions were made while abandoning thousands of small businesses in their absolute time of need?
1: Oh, Christmas coming early for the opposition. There's Andrea Horvath ripping into the Auditor General reports findings that the Ford government uh, sent nearly a billion dollars to 14 and a half thousand businesses for support payments during the pandemic. And many didn't need or qualify for it. And, you know, for a guy who fights for the little guy, one wonders why this government isn't bothering to go after the 210 million in losses that uh, was taken basically through dishonesty. And the excuse is the money had to get out the door. But that only takes politicians so far, right? There has to be accountability. And far too often, pandemic or not, we just don't get it. And I think that hurts a guy whose brand is all about minding our dollars and cents. Adrian Patra is editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. Also played a big role in politics once upon a time for a different Ford. Good to have you. Great to be with you, Alex.
3: So the
1: Auditor-General... What's, yeah, there you go. Well, look, this, these the Ford brothers built their their whole base and, and their brand about fighting for the little guy, and I think you know Ford himself admitted today that there was dishonesty. Um, you know, but again, for him not to want to collect on any of that, does that not strike you as odd? It it does, particularly at a time when you
3: know we're on the on the heels of another election, and you know the as you say, the whole Ford brand is about accountability and. How many times did we hear them railing when there was a liberal government um, and, and scathing Auditor General's reports would come out and demanding action? Well, now it's his opportunity as, as the premier to get that action and to uh, reverse the egregious amount of spending that took place. And, and in, in many cases, I mean, there's, there's aspects that could be fraudulent. So there, there's a lot of work that yet, is yet to be done. I, I suspect, uh, now don't, I, I, I don't know, but I think that the, the position will, will harden a bit in the coming days where um, the government will actually want to um, address some of these issues.
1: Yeah, look, it's not just a provincial thing. I mean, we've seen it at the federal level. I mean, there's been report after report. God knows Blacklock's reporter has uh, found like <laughs> so many billions that was rushed out the door that, again, you look at the sur program, went to the a lot of people who took advantage of the system who should not have. Um, So at the federal and the provincial level, there have been, you know, certainly this lack of checks and balances, which in 2021, Adrian, you know, I get that they had to get the money out fast, but there should be some basic, like, checks and, like, are you who you say you are? Can you show us ID? And can you prove you need the money? Like, that's not asking a lot. Well, it's not. And especially with the
3: hundreds of millions of tax dollars that have been spent, Alex, on trying to upgrade um, IT systems and have some yeah. semblance of reduction in red tape. I mean they have perhaps for heaven's sake they have a, a minister responsible for that directly just, just to try to streamline things. But this is this is a almost a copy and paste of what happened federally as well when when mm-hmm. the federal liberals were rushing dollars out the door for CERB and CERC and all all manner of, of programs. I'm not questioning the necessity that that had to happen. What I'm saying is that there there was no, you know, thought given. I believe to the fact that there has this dollar should be going to people who truly need it. Um, and and well, know, let, let me remind you I, though there
1: was there was public s- sector workers who were sent home and did. Basically nothing for months, other than sit home and, and kind paid. of wait for things. And, and got paid. paid. There's, so, they could have like been know. called into action to say, "Hey, we need your help processing things. Can can someone come in and do this?" Like, it you know, but that doesn't ever factor in because that thinks that's thinking outside the box.
3: Well, and then then that's not a really a, a strong suit of government, is it, Alex? Is think creatively or think think industriously because they actually it's not their money. it's not their it's not their money and then you know it's again the the challenge for premier ford with so much of this is it's based on his brand his brand is all about rooting out the waste and the inefficiency but yet now it's his government it's on him and i again i'm confident that they are going to um they're going to uh do at the very least commit to um reversing and 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 some of this i think the initial response was was a bit it was tepid at best
1: yeah, I mean, look, it, it, on the principle, even if you just look like you're doing it, would, would probably, uh, you know, help a lot of people. But, you know, the opposition's job, obviously, is to oppose, and they love Auditor General's or reports because it just gives them lots of materials. But at both the federal and the political, at the provincial level, certainly, um, you know, there were many, many days when we heard Andrea Horvath saying, get the money out the door. Don't worry. Get it out. Get it out. We'll do all the checking later. So, Their arguments, you know, it's fair to criticize this report, absolutely, but there was not too many people saying, stop, we have to do this right.
3: Well, no. I mean, well, you sure as hell would never have gotten that from the NDP, um, I mean, let's for argument's sake say it was maybe the conservatives that were in opposition. They would have likely have said, "Hang on a second, let's make sure that the the resources that we are um, are doling out is is appropriate and it's going to the right place." And there are some checks and balances, but the challenge like, like this is this is the ideal situation though for the for the opposition. Maybe it's just a few of us in the media that are going to remember that Ms. Horvath and the NDP were just demand they, they wanted more money spent. They yeah. didn't care by, by how it was. They just wanted more and more of it going out the door. But now they have a huge opportunity to capitalize on the money that was spent. So, I mean, it, look, for the government, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, uh, but the I, I will I will say in, in a very politically speaking manner, the NDP has
1: been so... Are these the respectful. CBC words? I only want to hear yeah. the CBC words.
3: Oh, okay. no, no, we can't. We have.
1: CBC words for heaven's sake.
3: Uh, no, the CB- the NDP has been so ineffectual as an opposition that um, I, I, it's almost what they say is is nearly irrelevant. So, I, I, not that uh, dis- discarding what they are disregarding what they say. Um, you know, opposition parties have an important role to play, but in this in this province, you know, the NDP has not been able to really land a lot of blows on the Ford mm-hmm. government, um, and and. AG reports, Alex, are supposed to be that big, wide-open opportunity, and I just don't see it that way.
1: Well, you know, the, the the one thing Ford has uh, going for him is the the distractions of yet another. You know, are we looking at shutdowns, restrictions, whatever? I mean, th- this will be forgotten before too long, uh, where it normally would kind of linger in the air like a bad smell. Yeah. Um But again, he he's got other issues he's going to be heading into. Like, are we shutting the borders? Are people being told to travel? Like, what is the plan? And I think he's got to get ahead of that messaging sooner rather than later because we just want some clarity, even if it's bad news. The reality for any government I mean it, it shocks you and
3: I to no degree how Justin Trudeau keeps getting reelected with the billions of dollars of money that they waste they've wasted, and even under Kathleen Wynne and Dalton McGuinty in Ontario how much money they wasted and yet they kept getting reelected it's in it, that part of it is that the public seems nearly forgiving of that in a way, but where they won't be forgiving is the fact that we've been locked down and shut down and restricted for so long that they they will have how Premier Ford deals with this will have more of an impact on the outcome of the election yeah. than, than,
1: than the Auditor General's report. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting times ahead. Ms. Batra, always appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for being having me on. Here is Adrian Batra, Editor-in-Chief of, of the Toronto Sun. You know, housing is one of these constant headlines because it is consequential pretty much to all of us. I mean, either you're looking for a way to get into the market, praying that the market cools down. Others are trying to figure out, you know, is now the time to cash in on what is for most of us our biggest investment. And we go back and forth on this topic in my household all the time. You know, do we sell? Do we stay? Do we rent? What do we do and when do we do it? And so I think the debate now gets hastened, of course, because we're looking at rising inflation, which will push up interest rates. And so I was pretty surprised to see that in 2022 – which I thought was going to be a cool-off mark, but maybe not so, because the newest headline coming out, thanks to REMAX, which has issued a report, they suggest housing prices are going to go up another 9%, with the main driver being that this flexibility we all now have to work wherever we want means that people, especially here in Ontario, can start buying up properties outside of the province, which is now driving prices up in smaller areas, like you know, PEI or Nova Scotia, where housing was once... More affordable, but now it's back on its way up. Ian Lee is associate professor over at the Sprott School of Business at the Carleton University. Good to have you, Ian.
0: Uh, my pleasure, Alex. This is a topic I like to talk about uh, because I'm. Uh, I know. I'm a former mortgage manager many years ago in the '70s and '80s. That's but the price of the mortgage yeah. lending haven't changed. I assure you. <laughs> so yeah, well, that better. is that
1: is why I I, I thought. Well, Ian's going to know this because that is your background. It is also mortgage. Uh, you know, this yeah. is your expertise. But so, how much stock do you put in these individual reports from companies like Remax? I mean, they're all they've all got their own interests in mind, but. I mean, I was kind of assuming 2022 would be a cooling off, Mark, just given the, the financial storms kind of building around us. But they seem to think that it's just going to keep going up.
0: Right. Um, first off, full disclosure, so everybody knows, I do not consult to anybody. I don't consult to banks or mortgage companies or REMAX or real estate. And I don't speculate in the market. I own exactly one house in this world. It's the house I live in. <laughs> so I don't have a dog in the hunt. But having said that... Go. I've, I've followed this for a long time. I've written papers on uh, CMHC, Canada Mortgage and Housing, and, and this this whole subject because, it, and I talk about it in my classes, uh, and that's because housing, uh, a com- housing is a unique asset. And mm-hmm. I'm saying this because of, I'm not giving you academic theory. I'm telling you what I learned nine years in banking, lending real money to real, ordinary Canadians. And I mm-hmm. realized that uh, a house is... All by itself in this world, as I like to tell my friends who say, get into Bitcoin, get into gold. I said, there's only one asset in this world that you can live in, you can sleep in it, you can eat in it, you can raise your children in it. That's a house. No other asset allows you to do that. I mean, not you, you can buy gold, you can buy Bitcoin, you can buy commodities, you can buy art, expensive paintings, but you can't live in any of them. And so that makes it very, very different. The second point, and I learned this very up close and deeply personally in 1980 when interest rates peaked at 20%, 2-0. Not 2.0, 20%. And everybody, mm. all the smartest people in the country said, oh, the housing market's going to collapse. It's Armageddon now. The end times have arrived. We're doomed and, and I didn't think that. I didn't know exactly why, what was going to happen, but I didn't think that. Because i had seen customers. I knew customers. And what I experienced, to get to my point very quickly, is mm-hmm. I saw people coming in every month making a payment, and both the husband and wife had lost their job. And they were making their yeah. payments like clockwork. And finally, you know, I started, I obviously thanked these people. And then I would sum up the, the courage and say very politely, and excuse me, but... I really appreciate this, but yeah, like, can, you, can you tell me how you're managing to pull this off? And I got the same answer over and over and over. Well, mom and dad helped me out. Mom and dad helped me out. And I coined the phrase back in 1980, the bank of mom and dad. And, that's, <laughs> I'm, and, and I'm not just reminiscing, I assure you, I'm going to bring this right up to the present. How can prices be going up year after year when incomes aren't going up by 9 10 30%? answer the bank of mom and dad people say what are you talking about if you look at stats canada published every three months thank you very much called the national household balance sheet it excludes corporate assets it excludes all government assets city of toronto government of canada only us us all 30 million of us adults there's about 30 million of adults we, collectively, and I'm obviously calling this the bank of Mom and Dad, have over 14 trillion dollars of gross assets minus that famous two trillion dollars of debt that everybody has meltdowns over for reasons I do not understand, because we've got 14 trillion of assets, minus two trillion of debt. this is arithmetic, everybody. 14 minus 2 equals 12. We have 12 trillion net worth. Now, some of you out there in radio land may be saying, what are you talking about? I don't have that. Of course you don't. It's older people that have it. Older people have been li- living and working for a long time, people like me. That's why I really do call it the bank of mom and dad, because the wealth is skewed towards older people who've owned their house for 25, 30, 35, 40 years. Everybody knows that, but they don't connect the dots in terms of the consequences. So there's $12 trillion of net worth after debt out there. And there's millions, millions of moms and dads helping out their children and giving them down payment. So when people say it's impossible for the markets to go up, the people making, aren't making enough money. And the answer is, no, they're not. Young people that are 25, 30, 35 years old or not. But many of them are not. But the bank of mom and dad is there in the background, and they are, and I got tons of anecdotal stories, I'm not going to repeat, uh, documenting this. And I don't mean a couple of grand. Uh, close friend of mine won't say where he works. He said to his son, I'll give you 30000 and his mother, the grandmother, threw in another 30000 $60,000, boom. Guy's 26 years old. And I know there's people saying, well, not everybody have affluent parents, and I understand that. But 70% of Canadians are homeowners, and almost all of our wealth, two-thirds, three-quarters of our wealth is tied up in real estate. So the answer Mm -hmm. is about 70% of us can help our children, and they are the ones helping our children. And that is how this is
1: possible. Sure. But my question would be then, okay, there are a lot of moms and dads out there then are, who are trying now to best time to make a move, you know, yeah. sell, yeah. buy, what do you do? What's the best time? And given the financial uncertainty that we are yeah. looking at, I mean, yeah. what is the, what do you, what should you be looking for? Because I thought there'd be a leveling off, but if the market's just right. going to stay high, a lot of people will say, okay, stay put. We're going to maximize what we can get out of this and, t- and make a move you know, when it's most advantageous. Again, hard to predict in very volatile times.
0: I I really do appreciate your question, because I do believe that this is simply the most fundamental strategic question. And I'm going to answer it very on the one hand this and the one hand that, because it depends on what's going to happen, and I'm going to define it very concretely and precisely. Okay, so, so there's, there's three things. Number one, to state the obvious interest rates. When interest rates go up, they're inversely related to real estate values. When interest rates go up, that tends to moderate, and if they go up a lot, that will push down average house prices. And yes, we did see that in 79, 80, when rates ran up. The Part of the story I didn't right. tell you about then 80, the delinquency rate hardly budged. It went from one half of 1% for all Canadians, it went all the way to 1%. It skyrocketed. I'm being sarcastic. It skyrocketed 1%. 99% of Canadians remained current and up-to-date on their mortgage payments at 20%. That's how amazing that was. But what I didn't tell you was property values went down very significantly and because the interest rate's going up. So number one variable that's going to per, uh, tell us where uh, real estate values are going are interest rates. The second question, and that's a function of inflation and how much this government lets it get out of control before they finally have to put down the hammer, and the hammer is increased interest rates. The longer they let it go, the greater the interest rate will have to go up to squeeze it back, to put the genie back into the bottle, Right. because it's only interest rates that does it. There's a second variable, and I I don't know the answer to it either, because nobody does. I have, as you know, I have argued uh, uh, against... Forgive me for being so opinionated against dishonest municipal counselors in the GTA, in Vancouver, in my city of Ottawa, who have denied that there are housing shortages. There is a fundamental, the root, to use a lovely word of liberals, there's a root cause to these escalating uh, house prices. The root cause is a shortage of of supply of houses deliberately, socially engineered by the municipal councils in large cities, Ottawa, GTA, Vancouver, in the name of, quote, suburban sprawl, which is the pejorative liberal term for population growth of people moving out to the burbs to buy their first home. And they have deliberately engineered it. So now to answer the question, well, what could turn that around? Well, if any government, whether it's this government or any government, decided to get serious, I don't mean doing the press conference thing and, you know, saying we're going to do all kinds of things. I'm talking real action to, let me put this thought experiment out to you, Alex, and to your listeners. Imagine uh, I was omnipotent God or something, and I could come along and go, poof, I'm creating manufacturing and dropping into Canada, across Canada, two million new homes. Does Anybody, in their right mind, think that house prices are just going to stay where they are. Of course yeah. not. You drop yeah. two million new houses into the market, the prices will go down because it's supply and demand. Right. We have right. created artificially engineered uh, elevated prices. I I, those prices are real. Don't misunderstand me. They are real. Sure. Willing buyer, until willing the supply, seller. Yeah, the
1: until pay. that supply arrives. But they uh, you are know, artificially the stimulated
0: yeah. by these irresponsible decisions by councillors in the big cities. Now, if we can overcome those irresponsible councillors and mayors, including the mayor of my city and the mayor of Toronto and the mayor of Vancouver, to, to uh, stop discriminating systemic, systemic discrimination against immigrants and young people who want to buy out in the burbs their new home, and if we can overcome them and build, and it is estimated, we're 2 million homes short in Canada. That is Scotiabank's data from Chief Economist. So we yeah. need roughly, approximately 2 million. I'm not going to quibble over the decimal point. If we could drop a million and a half into the market across Canada, that would move the markets downward. I was on, a, on VNN Amanda Lang a week ago, and I said, I said, I know it's the unthinkable and it's the unspeakable, and I'm sure all uh, people will hate me for saying it, but I think we've got to have a conversation in Canada about a deliberate engineering down of housing prices because they're too elevated. And, of course, the question is, well, how do you do that? Well, one <laughs> way is to, using the federal fiscal power, force the municipalities to radically increase the supply of new building permits and service land on the edges, the suburbs, the suburban tracts of those big cities to uh, stimulate a huge new supply of housing well and if you bring enough houses onto the market i think you can bring the market down by 10 to 20% and it yeah. will hurt mostly older boomers with tons of equity like me and hurts the wrong word I, I, you know most of us don't even have a mortgage so our house goes from a million and a half down to 1.2 million and we have no mortgage how does that hurt anybody
1: well, bottom line is, when I see that $2 million, uh, supply built, then I know to get out. Ian, I'm that's, up that's way the against the clock. to cl- see that
0: happening, that's, the time to, that's right, to sell.
1: <laughs> that is the time to sell, yeah. All right, I'm up against the clock. Uh, Ian, very much appreciate the time. I'm sure we'll talk again about this because it is the headline that never goes away. Appreciate the time.
0: My pleasure, Alex. Thank you.
1: That's Ian uh, Lee with the Sprott School of Business. So if they build it, get out.
0: Obviously, we're watching very, very closely the situation with Omicron. Uh, we know that even though Canada has very strong border measures now, we need uh, uh, vaccinations to to Canada. We need uh, pre-departure tests. We do testing on arrival. Uh, there may be more we need to
2: do, and we'll be uh, looking at it very carefully.
1: All right, so that is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Earlier today, uh, he was peppered with questions uh, asking for clarity, just any kind of clarity. You know, are we getting another vaccine booster? Are we going to be seeing borders shut? Should folks travel for the holidays? And right now, all we're getting is a whole lot of spin and delay. Doug Ford also being asked for clarity on what we could be looking into. And he's right. uh, The messaging I thought he put out today was smart. Don't panic. But then, again, there was no clarity on if we're going to be losing the freedoms we just got back. And, you know, two years into this thing, whew. Two years into this thing. Hard to imagine. You know, clarity matters. I mean, we're exhausted. The psychological damage of these ongoing lockdowns and waves and threats of closures has has caused a lot of, uh, you know, needless stress. And so clarity would obviously calm rattled nerves. But what we're seeing right now around the world, uh, not just here, is politicians just lighting their hair on fire over a variant we still don't know much about. And tomorrow... Will be important, certainly if you've got travel plans, because President Biden is expected to announce a strategy moving forward. He says lockdowns are not part of the plan, but he does, or there is suggestions, uh, things like uh, they're always doing the travel bans, uh, testing and quarantining. And leaked reports are suggesting that if you're going to the United States, it doesn't matter if you're an American or if you are uh, just heading there from another country, you're going to have to get a test the day before you are going to have a test you have to get a test once you're in the united states there are even suggests uh, suggestions that they're debating that regardless of whether or not you have a negative test you actually will have to um quarantine at your expense for 7 days can you imagine going on vacation and then having to pay for a quarantine hotel for 7 days like what is the point in going away and I guess whatever the United States does will likely have to follow suit. So what is clear right now is that we've got a bunch of politicians moving at warp speed. So it looks like they're doing a lot. But are they actually doing something or is this just kind of political kabuki theater? Haven't had him on in a while, but let's get him on. David Redman, former executive director of Alberta's Emergency Managing Management Agency. Good to have you.
2: Hi, Alex. Good to be here.
1: All right, so what do you make um, (laughs) of the latest situation we're in now? I mean, you know, I don't know much about this variant. I'm certainly not a scientist, but I'm also not losing sleep right now because I haven't been given a reason to lose sleep yet.
2: One of the things we knew the day that it was announced that it was a coronavirus, way back in January of 2020, coronaviruses have variants. They constantly change and vary and and develop new strains. And you develop your response in a pandemic based on a sustainable, logical process, emergency management. You -hmm. protect those who are most at severe risk. And today we still know, regardless of variant, that over 94% of the deaths in Canada have been in our seniors who were frail. This new variant is just like all the other forms of this current SARS-CoV-2 and it will come and we should respond to it exactly the same way. We should protect those who are most at risk, i.e. our seniors and those people with severe multiple comorbidities and everyone else should carry on with their life.
1: Right. Um, one of the things that uh, the current government could do is get the boosters uh, into people, certainly those cohorts which are most vulnerable. The United States is already moving ahead to do that. The Prime Minister was actually asked about it that, that this morning, David, when he went into uh, the House, and he said, you know, uh, we've got the supply, we're just waiting for, you know, marching orders from Nasi." Well, like, the, these things should be decided already, you know, like they they knew that the waves were going to continue and it's just every single time we get the wave, it's always just this reactionary, um, you know, step. Why wait?
2: Well, let's go back to the vaccines just for a second. We know that the vaccines do help those who are at most risk, i.e. are seniors with severe comorbidities, and they seem to be able to reduce Death from all the strains of COVID by three to four times. But for everyone else, the COVID and all the variants represent less risk than seasonal influenza. So these are still experimental vaccines. They still need to do serious testing and in emergency management, you never count on a vaccine. Vaccines take three to five years to develop to ensure that you know how they'll respond. I just looked at the Ontario numbers. 46% of the new cases diagnosed in Ontario are in fully vaccinated people. So we know these vaccines don't stop you getting sick. They don't stop you transmitting COVID and they in fact don't stop you dying of covid There's guests in your province of fully vaccinated individuals. So we should spend more time concentrating on stopping the collateral damage that we continue to do to our mental health, our societal health, the education of our children, people with other severe illnesses and disease that are now standing in huge lines, plus the massive economic disaster that has happened to the economy of our country.
1: Yeah, I mean, on the vaccine front, I mean, we do know that if you do get it, you're likely to get less sick. So there is that. But, yeah, we, there's still a lot we don't know about it, although we do know the efficacy does, in fact, wear off after a period. So there is the need to, you know, it's like a flu shot. you got to go back, you know, for another shot. But as well, to the, the reaction boost, and the
2: flu pla- shots, what you're doing each year is not necessarily boosting for the strains. You're introducing the new strains that have emerged each year. So so the whole idea of, of this being a booster, how many boosters is going to be required? The COVID variants will be around forever. They are endemic. They are worldwide. And new variants will constantly emerge over the next 100 years. We know a coronavirus mutates just like the common cold. So is this a game we're going to play every four months?
1: It looks like it. I mean, because we're, we're here we are heading into the holidays. We just got our freedom back in the last couple of months. People, you know, have done everything they can to play their part. Um, you know, and now we head into the holidays and, and, you know, we've got no idea. Canadians don't know. Should we get on a plane? Can we be guaranteed that we'll get back in the country? These are the kinds of things that people just want to know so that they can plan for it. And instead, what we kind of get is, well, we're going to test and we're going to do travel bans and we're going to do this or they're going to do that. The bottom line to your point is it's not going away. We're going to live with this forever. And instead of being hysterical every time this new variant pops up, um, we've got to learn to figure out how to live with this thing, You know, because there is a lot of collateral damage. We got the report from the Canadian medical association just last night confirming and the numbers will be much, much higher on the other side of this thing, David, that was because they only looked at a window of four months of the people who are suffering uh, because of the lockdowns and the restrictions and just the stress of, of the unknowns.
2: We know that the collateral damage caused by these lockdowns is at least 10 times higher than the death COVID itself ever could have created. And every day that goes by, we're adding to that number. I, I, I just I, I wonder right now in Sweden, if people are worried about the Christmas holidays. They didn't lock down. They didn't wear masks. They didn't do any of the restrictions on their schools. They never closed any business. And the flat line of the, the, the deaths and the cases in Sweden, Canadians have somehow come to believe that COVID Canada is different than anywhere else in the world. If we have managed this correctly, we wouldn't be having these collateral deaths. We would have saved our seniors, and there is no need for any different response than what Sweden did then and now.
1: But it seems I, now that the plan would It's mo- impossible
2: to understand that people don't even just look at Florida. I, I mean, yeah, they well, immediately to the south.
1: Yeah, I mean, Florida in many ways has become like the butt of a joke, but it is right. I mean, they 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 have been quite. They've gotten a lot of cases, but they also are just living life, and um, you know they are they are getting are through we this. Managing but just se-
2: COVID on case count is that what scares us? Is catching Apparently. COVID something terrible? No, dying of heart disease, dying of diabetes, dying of cancer, which is happening in our country, and you just saw some of the reports. That's the tip of the iceberg caused mm-hmm. by our response to COVID, it has nothing to do with COVID. it's our response to COVID.
1: yeah and um after a while you think well maybe they'll come up with a plan uh, <laughs> and and come up with the <laughs> same plan and, and if i if i'm a bad man the plan now is create as much hardship um you know so people don't want to travel because it's just too much of a pain in the butt that's not a plan that's just kind of throwing as many it, obstacles again why yeah well.
2: we know the new variant is in canada it's endemic it it, and it's going to spread back and forth across our border no matter what we do we've known that we followed the the waves of this virus worldwide in lockdown or not no lockdown countries compared by same geography the spread happened exactly the same in lockdown countries and non-lockdown countries who in its document back in september 2019 said border closures have no effect guess what Mm -hmm. They have no effect. It's already here. We're we're, we're, the horse has gone out of the barn, and we're trying to close the door. Unless you intend your country to live in total isolation for all time, COVID Mm -hmm. will be in Canada, and every citizen in Canada will catch COVID in their lifetime.
1: Indeed, they will. And so again, learn to live with Mm -hmm. it. Prepare for it, and I don't know, maybe maybe Dr. Tam can get out her little uh, 2006 report and start following it. But uh, I I appreciate your time on this, Dave, uh, very much. Always appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Have a good one, Alex.
1: That's uh, David Redman uh, joining us. And so, yeah, like, uh, show us a plan. (laughs) A plan that doesn't look like any of the other plans is what we would like to see. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.